thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name is Martin O'Riordan and I'm the General Manager and Head of Cybersecurity at Mercury IT. Uh, with me today is our Chief Information Security Officer, Chris Haig. Hey everyone. Today we are going to talk about something that possibly we, we've also discussed why we're even talking about it. So Chris and I have, have mentioned this before, we're talking about ransomware. And we named this uh, particular webinar our new normal. Now, kind of like the fact that we are in webinars is kind of our new normal as well. But Absolutely. ransomware has been around for quite some time. Uh, some of the first examples came around in 1989. And we have seen uh, sort of that, that exponential growth over the years. And, and certainly, uh, Chris, would you agree that the, the real growth of it started when uh, cryptocurrency became available? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we saw it was it um, at the end of 2013 started to really uh, ramp up because it was easier to get the money, I guess, without getting caught. Exactly. And and that's why we, probably at that time, I think we all thought it was going to go away. We, we saw certainly in that, that early period, we saw, uh, you know, businesses getting hit with ransomware on a weekly basis, like <laughs> a common occurrence. Then, then we saw some of our technical controls improved. And we saw that kind of decrease a lot. I think, I think we thought it was going to go away. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely uh, did. Uh, I must say, our, our technical controls helped um, a lot. So, and we'll certainly talk about those technical controls that we've had in place. Because I'd say since we've had that in, I mean, I don't think we've seen a ransomware event in any of our managed fleet for probably three and a half, four years. So, yeah. it's certainly been effective. It has, and I think the reason we're talking about it today is because it is still, it's still in the news quite often, and Absolutely. certainly we're seeing uh, a, a real growth in ransomware attacks. I, I guess one of the, the, the real changes with uh, the ransomware attacks were around the fact that uh, they didn't just encrypt the data, they, they kind of, you know, exfiltrated it and then decided they would uh, almost uh, you know, blackmail people to try and get them to pay the ransom. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a development that had to move on because I think where they got to is they were like, hold on a second, they're actually not paying. What they're doing is they're just restoring from their backup if they've got one. So there were kind of two tactics there. They, were, they ramped up the um, encrypting the backup. So that, that was a, a, a new thing. And then the other one was actually... Um, doing the blackmail, but they're actually taking a copy of the data and then uh, doing that. I, and I think that started uh, way back as well, 2015. Uh, we started actually seeing uh, that change um, come in, which I think was the Crimea uh, one, where they actually said, hey, we will release this uh, publicly if you don't pay. Yeah, and I think there's been a few, a few really high-profile examples recently. I mean, we've got one up there now, which is the Toll Holdings, which was, was, was last year, but certainly it was... Uh, a prime example because they got hit twice, didn't they, Chris? Yeah, it was twice in a in a few months, um, and I think they had barely recovered from the first one, and then kind of had to start again. And it took them uh, up to six weeks uh, to restore all the systems. Uh, look, there was a lot of systems to restore, so you kind of get that. Um, and it's certainly something that we'd need to uh, mention. I mean, in this case, they were just uh, restoring from their backups. They didn't actually pay the ransom uh, in this case, uh, which was uh, good. Uh, it just depends. And I guess at the end of the day, they didn't disrupt the entire business. There were bits of it. I think the tracking uh, specifically was disrupted. But uh, yeah, so I mean, every business is different. 
It is, and I, I, we are going to touch on around that whole ransom paid because I know that that's also been a little bit um, topical at the moment is, is that the government are talking about how they can stop businesses from paying the ransom. So that's something we, we're going to sort of touch on after we, we just run through a couple of these high-profile cases. Um, this is the, the Nine Entertainment, which they, they, they were disrupted in their actual delivery of their services, which is... Yeah, it's uh, quite a big one. Very, very big one. I mean, it's actually quite concerning as well about, um, you know, whether it was just a phishing attempt or a little bit more. I mean, you can imagine a uh, kind of a government uh, entity, so state-sponsored entity, uh, taking over a news outlet is a little bit concerning. Well, that's always been one of those uh, components of a coup, isn't it, <laughs> is take over the media. So, you know, obviously that could be just one of those test cases. Absolutely. So, look, we're not going to go into too much detail on some of these. I think that um, a lot of them people have seen in the news already, uh, but it does disclose something that where a lot of the businesses that we have seen, especially in Australia, uh, are not disclosing whether they've actually paid the ransom or not. Uh, one of the things that I know that uh, the government is now talking about is, is putting into some kind of legislation where, where it compels you to disclose if you've paid the ransom. But we'll, Talk about some of that a little bit later as well. Absolutely. Uh, so overseas, we did see the Colonial Pipeline, uh, you know, ransomware attack, and the, the, the company chose to pay the, the the ransom. Was that because it was going to be longer to restore the backups? Was that that one, Chris? Yeah, all all the backups uh, had a problem. I'm not too sure. I know there was a, a government um, kind of agency that eventually paid. It was like some city council. Um, that got done and they started doing their restores, but the restores were going to take weeks versus paying the ransom and having it unencrypted within a, a, a few uh, minutes or hours. So I think they were in the process of restoring, but then ended up paying anyway uh, to get up and uh, running. The Colonial Pipeline, um, I certainly thought was a good one to bring up. It was an interesting one. And they shut down their IT network because they were concerned about the OT network, so their operational technology network. So they were concerned about the actual uh, management of the pipeline, the gas, the um, et cetera, uh, that they were shipping. And they were concerned that the ransom attacks on the IT environment would actually leak over to the OT environment and become a very serious disaster, which is why they actually shut it down. And there was no specific reason for them to shut down the OT. It was just purely um, um, a protection uh, mechanism in case something happened. So I, I suppose it goes out just as a, um, uh, a note that both can be affected and we are actually seeing a lot more attacks take place on the operational technology. So it's certainly something to look at. And when we say operational technology, you know, you might not be a colonial pipeline or something, but just think there's a lot of like HVAC systems that are controlled by uh, your IT environment now as well. So, you know, your heating, cooling for a building, things like that. And, you know, I think we were joking the other day, if it's a case of like, well, we could just lock the building and not give you access, that is a problem, right? So it's kind of a, a real world denial of service attack. And that is the thing because uh, a lot of the operational technology, um, uh, you know, devices are not quite as robust in their security footprint than than a lot of the other um, aspects of our internet, uh, inter internal um, IT. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. And you'll see the government stepping in there as well, where they're starting to actually legislate that um, these suppliers and manufacturers are actually putting decent um, passwords onto uh, systems instead of de uh, default. Uh, just think about things like, um, you know, home-based routers and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, they're starting to lock down on that. Similar is um, uh, solar is another one where it's connected to your IT. Again, like the, quite often, <coughs> very weak passwords. And we, we've also talked about, because you just mentioned about the suppliers. So certainly one of the things that we, we've talked about is that, uh, you know, the whole uh, infrastructure chain. And, you know, there have been a lot of attacks where they've, they've gained access to a much larger corporation or government through a contractor or a supplier. And uh, Absolutely. How, how, you know, how do you think we should be starting to, you know, lock down that entire chain of, uh, you know, the IT chain? We, we've, for a long time, we've had logistics chains, but how are we starting to lock down that, that IT chain? Look, it's it's always been there. I think it's whether businesses actually take it seriously or not. And that's, that's always my concern is a, a lot of businesses won't or they don't have the time or they don't have the budget or whatever it is. So if you look at uh, any kind of... Um, kind of infrastructure, um, kind of architecture to protect it. So if we look at uh, NIST as an example, as a framework, right? So that's a cybersecurity framework. Um, your uh, chain or supply chain is in there as well. Now, the government has obviously taken steps with that. If they've got uh, contractors, they expect them to have, for instance, like the ASD Essential 8 uh, in place or even be assessed, so IRAP assessments, et cetera. Uh, for depending on what, what they're doing and what part of contracting they're doing for the government. But what you'll find, um, I was speaking to a lawyer the other day and they were saying that it looks like there's legislation coming uh, that probably isn't too far away where they're going to, the government's actually going to start to uh, legislate or mandate that critical infrastructure actually starts to meet these requirements as well. And it's a lot of uh, things that you might not necessarily think that you're part of the critical infrastructure, but certainly hospitals, uh, schools, and power, including solar and any companies running solar farms, uh, will quite possibly uh, have to meet government guidelines uh, to be able to trade. So, yeah, and certainly that, that food supply chain as well, like the next example. Uh, where we Yeah, talk. absolutely. This was huge. And they, they paid the, the, the Bitcoin um, ransom because they were shut down for quite a period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a big one. And, you know, that's that sort of comes into where we start thinking about are businesses doing enough to actually prevent some of these attacks or be able to respond quickly? I know that um, the, the government in Australia in particular is has already started talking about a ransomware payments bill. Uh, what we do know, like, it's a little bit sketchy at the moment, but what we do know is that, that over time the government will do something to tighten this up because... The pro problem continues to be perpetuated by the fact that we we seeing that the criminals are becoming more and more advanced. They keep adapting, and I don't know that as businesses are, are businesses adapting fast enough to respond. Yeah, probably not. Um, and I think that's why this sort of uh, this public consultation has started. So it's looking at uh, governments looking at what they can actually do to start um, looking at this. Because what, what uh, was the loss last year? Just over two billion. Yeah, just over two billion dollars in, in Australia alone. 
Yeah, which is insane. So uh, businesses certainly need to do something. Um, and we'll we'll see with the notifiable data breach um, stuff, the, they haven't actually issued any funds. Out no. Of so it's unlikely. Yeah, it was, it's a bit, and, and, and there's been some substantial breaches uh, from businesses and they still haven't kind of slapped any fines out to anything. Oh, look, we don't know the background, they won't give us everything, but it, it just seems unusual that it's been in since 2018. I remember when the, um, when the commissioner even uh, did their last report, they were warning that uh, fines were coming, because uh, I remember reading that as well, and still, still nothing. So it's an interesting one. It is. So I guess that sort of brings us into some of the things that we could be doing to prevent and respond to ransomware attacks. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, there's quite there's quite a few things, and so we'll we'll run through um, what they are. Um, I I was actually showing you a website just the other day. Um, it was a an American based one, but I mean, yeah. you know, it's ransomware is ransomware. This was from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and they actually released their uh, ransomware guide. Um, it was a little while ago now, but they've got a dedicated website and that to it as well, um, which I thought was quite quite interesting. There's uh, some good steps. It's the stuff we generally would talk about anyway, uh, but it's good to be able to send out. So I think um, you know if people are interested, we could certainly send the link out um, to to that site and to that uh, PDF as well. Yeah, that sounds good. So I think where we start with is uh, we always talk about um, people, process and technology as being yeah. the three pillars. So the ransomware sort of response and, uh, you know, prevention really do fit into that model too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we look at uh, people, uh, always an interesting one, and it's generally one that I'll always bring up, um, and that's around actually training your staff. Um, it's super, super important. Um, even if you take a look at something basic like, um, you know, you should have a incident response plan um, in place. Has that been communicated and trained correctly uh, out to staff as well? Um, so uh, as opposed to this document sitting somewhere <laughs> that, yeah. no one, that no one's seen. Which um, happens quite often with policy, isn't it? it gets yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we go back through those policies with our clients uh, once a year. Uh, just make sure they're up to date and you know i'll reiterate has this gone out to staff send it out again make sure everybody has uh, seen it and is, is aware of it but on top of that you do need a robust training plan so a cybersecurity awareness program in place and there's some great ones out there i mean we use know before uh, absolutely love the platform it's it's brilliant um, i know there's lots of others out there as well it's just the one i've got uh, the most experience on we've been using it for over a year um, Massive platform, good uh, load of content, uh, constantly updated almost on a monthly, well, on a monthly basis, in fact. Um, and whether that's videos, there's games, there's et cetera, to actually train people around the basics um, of cybersecurity. And then, of course, uh, phishing simulations are huge. Yeah. So if we look at one of the main vectors um, for ransomware, it's phishing. It's, 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 what, it's way up there. It's, it's very, very high. And, you know, it's that coming through that email looking just like totally legitimate and uh, somebody clicking on a link and uh, off you go. Um, look, there's a couple other steps in there uh, of preventing that, uh, but it's certainly how it can happen. Um, yeah. And all of a sudden we're, we're off on a ransomware attack. 
and that the Novi4 platform also gives uh, that that baseline, so you can actually see where you are, and you can you can actually track the the improvement of it as well. So obviously, yeah, that's what I'm understanding. It's, it's actually got a lot of reporting. I think it's got over sixty uh, reports that you can use. So it's absolutely fantastic for the board because it can actually show your risk factors and like your fish prone percentage actually coming down over the months as people are trained. Um, and on top of that, it can actually automate the uh, fishing for you as well. So the simulated fishing, because they introduced um, an AI into it uh, a few months ago. And I think we were talking about it the other day. It's getting really, really difficult to spot. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Because then, you know, our, our staff and, and our customers and that that use it uh, start to actually get trained and they get their eye on what they're actually looking for. So I think it's it's a brilliant uh, system. So that, yeah, so that pretty much covers off the people. Uh, part and, of it, and, and we we I know we go on about the people part quite often, but it, it really is one of the the areas that is just not focused on enough across the world, but certainly in this country, uh, okay. where where we just see that that weakest link is is still that that the person clicking the clickers, so, know, which is which is terrible because it doesn't have to be your weakest link; it could be your absolute strongest link. You know, yeah, it's that first line of defence. Uh, at the end of the day. So if you've got people that are trained, uh, it's certainly your first line of defense. And then if it gets past that, because invariably it will get past, yes. then you've got your technology and your other steps that have got those uh, pieces to actually help out as well. So I think I think that's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, so what, I think we could probably run through a couple of those, the technology parts that would actually help prevent yeah, absolutely i mean from a process perspective we've already mentioned the incident response plan the only other one i'd add to that is probably patching yeah. uh, as a process as such um because a lot of those uh, ransomware events took place because the patching happened too late so quite often you know the um, microsoft will release a patch and then somebody gets hit with ransomware and it's because they didn't patch you know the 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 patch release that came out three months ago or six months ago mm. so it's staying up to date with that, that's important. Uh, but we talk about like uh, infection vectors um, in this and how, how it's actually gonna come in. Now we've spoken about one of the biggest ones, which is phishing uh, already, uh, but another one is internet facing systems. So if you've got, let's say, if you still host your own email server, I know a lot of people on 0365, so that's kind of going away, but you might have remote desktop um, services, you might be hosting your own website, um, you might be hosting a VPN uh, concentrator. There could be a number of things that are internet facing within your organization um, that do need to be tested. So there's two things I've mentioned there is uh, patching, obviously, is the first one. And then the second one would be uh, regular vulnerability assessments. I mean, you could take that one step further and you can actually do full pen testing as well. But just doing a regular uh, vulnerability assessment on it is, is a good idea. There's a lot of systems that can actually automate that. So it could be quite useful. Uh, absolutely, and and that's where, you know, you start to think about some of the other things that uh, should be in place to try and prevent uh, the, some of the the other vectors that are coming through. So you've obviously got email, so that's obviously a, a big factor. Absolutely. So you're going to need to look at some sort of filter uh, there. Um, you know, we. Uh, we use um, Cisco's uh, filter uh, specifically, but again, there's lots of other ones out there that you could use that um, are good. Um, and as long as you're using one, I think is the important thing. But yeah. even Microsoft's uh, one, if you get their um, 
the uh, extended license, the higher end license to enable it. So basically the advanced kind of uh, malware uh, protection you can switch on uh, on the systems for 0365, so to get better uh, protection. So that's not just um, phishing detection and uh, quarantine, but that's obviously your malware, virus, uh, et cetera, as well uh, from, from that point. So it's kind of that entry point, and you're trying to filter that entry point firstly, and then go from there. Well, one of the things through. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we've found uh, that has worked quite well is that the DNS protection. Yeah, DNS protection has been huge. Um, we, we started using uh, OpenDNS uh, many years ago, and then that got bought by Cisco as well. So uh, they renamed it to Umbrella. Um, I, I would say that's probably one of the biggest things that we've had in place that has prevented ransomware. Um, because it's not like um, it just goes away. There's lots of attempts, like hundreds of attempts per week uh, across our fleet. Now, whether that's coming via email, so managers get past filter, or it's coming from a website and it's been downloaded, et cetera. Um, you know, you could have that malware uh, actually detonate on the machine and run. Um, it might not be detected by your uh, endpoint security, whatever you're using. Like, let's say it's a, it might be a, uh, something that's relatively new or bypasses for whatever reason. Um, but a lot of the ransomware to actually encrypt the files has to connect out to a command and control server. So it's got to get the key to actually do the encryption. And that is generally where it gets stopped. So as it does that DNS lookup, again, not all malware uses DNS as a lookup, but over 90% does. So it's, it's quite effective in stopping uh, ransomware actually getting to the point of encrypting the files. So that, that, that's an interesting one. So yeah, I would say uh, the umbrella protection has been very, very good. Uh, again, there are other ones out there. Uh, it's just the bundle we use uh, with uh, umbrella, uh, but it has been super effective. Yeah, and obviously you have to have endpoint protection. Yeah, the endpoint protection is huge. Um, there's some really good ones out there. Uh, we use um, Cisco's um, uh, endpoint uh, security, uh, was uh, formerly AMP. Uh, that's been very effective. Like I said to you earlier, since we've had this bundle in place uh, over the last four years, we haven't actually seen any attacks. Again, there's always attempts, uh, but they do get stopped. So, but you'll notice there's the standard thing that we always talk about, which is a defense in depth. You know, it's yeah. not just the endpoint security we've got in place. It's, you know, the DNS protection, which uh, with Cisco Umbrella, it's not just DNS protection, it's intelligent proxy uh, service as well. So even browsing out onto the internet and the site looks a bit dodgy is going to be proxied through these proxy services to protect uh, your endpoints. Now, you might have a proxy on site that does that as well. Um, and of course, we spoke about email filters coming in. And of course, you've got your firewall as well. And generally, your firewall is going to be the uh, newer type firewall. Uh, so basically, a, a next generation firewall. So that's generally got uh, intrusion prevention systems and it's looking for malware signatures, um, et cetera. But you'll note there's all these steps. It's, it's not just this one thing. It's not, I just have a proxy or I just have DNS protection or I just have endpoint protection. You do have to have all of it together uh, because, and, and I'll say it again, even though you've got all those things, you could very well be hit with ransomware. You know, if you get a zero day through, um, 
I would say in Australia, we might be a little bit luckier in that like a lot of the big ones tend to hit in Europe and America first, and then systems get updated before it hits this side sometimes. Um, so maybe we've got a little bit of a reprieve there, but zero day does exist, um, which is why you have to have your incident response plan. And the other technology but that we talk about is backups. Yeah, like that, that's one of the main ones. So, and, and it's not just about having a backup. You've got to be able to test it. You've got to be able to check it. And, and are, are companies doing fire drills? Now, how long does it take to restore from their backup? That would be my biggest concern is the restore time. You know, we, we were working with a, a, one of our larger clients who's got backups in place. You know, they use Veeam and um, et cetera. But they were actually concerned about how long it would take to actually restore. So they actually put in a secondary system for the backup that kind of almost took like snapshots of the backup. Um, but this was like 10 gig connected and then also had a system that could actually make it immutable. And what that means is if you've got a backup that's online, right, so it can be seen on the network, ransomware could actually go through your system and through the backups as well, where this system had the immutable flag set, so it can't actually be encrypted or changed for that matter at all. Um, and what this allowed is to actually have the restore take place at absolute lightning speed. So being able to stand up um, uh, golden images, uh, for instance, we spoke about having a gold image of critical systems so that you could actually stand these up very quickly. Um, I think the other point we mentioned was, do you have hardware to restore to? Yeah. That was, was the only other thing. Yeah, if you, Cool. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of those uh, instances where they paid the ransom was not because they didn't have the backup. It was about the time it was going to take to restore. Yeah, like if you're down for weeks at a time, and if you've never done the restore, you you're going to get that typical thing, right? The business is going to go to the IT and say, "How long is it going to take to restore?" And now they're going to go, "I don't know," or "I've just kicked off the restore, and that little counter is telling me 28 days." Yeah, so. we're not here in 28 days, right? That's part of the problem. And that, that is, you know, really highlighting the fact that, you know, the IT team is, is critical um, in this. And now are they given the support from the business to be able to do what they need to be able to do to prevent and respond to a, an incident like this? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think it's from a from a plan perspective, the stuff that we've actually gone through with regards to, uh, you know, backups, having your incident response plan um, actually documented, tested, and people actually know it. And then looking at those infection vectors that we we're speaking about. So internet facing systems, making sure patching, uh, vulnerability assessments, looking at uh, phishing is a big one. So training your users, absolutely huge. Um, and it's not actually a big cost either. Uh, it's, it's really, really pretty low cost as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Um, and I'd certainly get that in place. Simulated phishing attacks uh, is a good one uh, to, to uh, train your users. Um, next generation endpoint protection um, and response uh, capabilities in place. Uh, DNS protection, proxies, your updated firewalls, so the, the latest. Um, absolutely important. The only other thing that we haven't really touched on, and I'll only touch on this briefly, is um, is looking at, again, your supply chain. 
Mm. And that might be a case if you are outsourcing your IT. That's certainly something to look at. And it's, it is important. I mean, certainly we're an MSP, so we're responsible for those backups for our clients. So obviously we take that super seriously um, and we work with our clients on that as well. Um, and then that's something you would need to do as well. If, if your backups are outsourced or something else is outsourced, think about anything that's critical in your infrastructure and then go and ask some questions, I think. Um, for instance, an MSP certainly should have an incident response plan. So. Absolutely. And I think that really highlights, you know, when you're choosing, you know, who you use is is doing some of those due diligence parts to it, is, is finding out, you know, do they take it as seriously as that they're telling the customers? Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. And I think that also just highlights, you know, the importance that can also help in outsourcing because sometimes you can outsource to, if you've got a small internal team and you think about how, you know, stretched the resources can be, being able to outsource it to someone that has got a lot of depth in their team, that can also be a big benefit as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, something very important I've mentioned, because just because we see it quite often as well, is don't think because you've outsourced it, it's not your responsibility. It, it really it really is. You, you have to work with your MSP or whatever you're outsourcing, you know, whether that's, um, you know, your developers or whatever it is. Uh, it's absolutely critical. You can't kind of go like, okay, well, I've passed that off and it's not my problem. Uh, there's definitely a shared responsibility there and it's making sure you're having those uh, meetings and that understanding of who's responsible for what. Uh, very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that having that clear lines, uh, communication lines, uh, reporting lines, responsibility lines is, is really imperative in, in making sure that, you know, if, if this does happen to you, that you actually are you know, prepared for it. Yeah. Uh, so we're just mindful of time. So, you know, we've, we've spent our 30 minutes running over this. It's it's not a lot of time to go over this. Chris and I did talk the other day saying we could probably spend a couple of hours just talking about this. Yeah. Uh, but just in mind of time. So if anyone has any questions that you'd like to ask, if you could pop them into the chat section for us now so that uh, we can possibly go through them for you and see if we can answer any of your questions. We may not be able to, we might have to take some offline, but uh, certainly we'll give it a go. Yeah, I see there is one question talking about air gap uh, for the backup. Uh, that is a good idea. So if you don't have a system that I mentioned where it's got those controls that are immutable, and I looked at three different vendors that actually do this, and they've been tested uh, against ransomware and making that backup as an immutable uh, system. If not, then air gapping, and you can do that really, really like low tech as well you know you can have a a, a drive on site that's been backed up to and then take off site you know uh, we've got some of our smaller customers that would still do that there's, there's lots of ways of doing it yeah exactly uh, so certainly you know we, we've talked about how you do that that offline backup process and how you actually protect it so there are yeah as you said there's a lot of different ways of doing it but still so important yeah agreed Cool. Other questions that anyone has? No, I see someone has put in, uh, Robert Katz has put in some other uh, suggestions as well, which are all great. So I like I like the prevention is key statements, I think is the key one. <laughs> <laughs> 
prevention is key. It's like a lot of things in life, isn't it? Where, yeah. where if we can't if we can't prevent it, it, it we end up with a, a lot of response. I mean, we're in that that space now with uh, COVID, aren't we? Where we can't prevent it, so we're in a response cycle that continues to to impact businesses going forward. Whereas if if we can prevent it, that certainly makes makes the the argument that we're going to try and make quite a different one. Yeah, definitely. And it's it is a bit sad sometimes where you see uh, businesses will start allocating uh, budgets uh, to uh, the cyber side of things after the attack has taken place. Mm -hmm. That's that's a bit a bit sad as well. I I, I I kind of feel like that's changing uh, quite a bit, and I don't know if it's helpful like with the news and etc. And you'll find that the board is starting to go. Hold on a second. Uh, we kind of need to do this because we can't afford to be down for 28 days. Um, what are we doing to actually make this make this happen? So I suppose as long as they're listening to whatever the advice is from external and IT and um, et cetera, of what uh, funding is required to actually put uh, all these controls in place. Like I said, defense in depth and prevention is uh, definitely better. But that is a really key point. You know, we, we have talked about the fact, and we haven't mentioned it a lot in this one, uh, but when we're talking about cybersecurity, that that the people who own cybersecurity for a business are actually at the top. It's it's the board, it's the CEO, it's the certainly right at the top, they need to be having the conversations around cybersecurity uh, constantly. It needs to be a regular agenda item on, on their board meeting. Well, it becomes part of risk, right? At the yeah. end of the day. So um, you'll see there's an email on screen there as well. If you do think of any other questions, let us know. And like I said, we'll send through the link uh, with that PDF on the uh, ransomware controls. There's a lot more detail in that document, uh, not specifically prescriptive, uh, but we'll certainly give you an idea. Um, if you do want to book a chat with myself and Martin, uh, please feel free to reach out as well on that email. Absolutely no problem. We are more than happy to uh, have a, a conversation with you, uh, a session with you.